I was thinking about the writers, you know, the, um, the people like Keith in our own church who is working on uh, several histories of his own family and his extended family. Maybe, maybe only his family will read it, but uh, my, my father-in-law is, uh, is working on something. And there's even interest, I think, from some publishers because he's really had uh, an interesting life. Um, my dad, in his retirement years, is kind of chipping away at, at some um, anecdotal stories from his own ministry and life. And I would find it a temptation to to want to smooth over <laughs> the embarrassing parts, the unflattering parts of my history. You know, people will go to extremes to protect their image. I don't have to tell you that deceit and rationalizing uh, is very much a part of our culture. You know, we've gotten to the place where our society doesn't even expect the plain truth anymore. Lewis Smedes uh, once said, in our society, the plain truth often puts one at a distinct disadvantage. I watched this HBO documentary uh, about the influencers, you know, on Instagram and uh, social media. Uh, it was really interesting, uh, you know, one part in particular, uh, showing how phony the whole ordeal is. In fact, you can rent this, um, it's basically just a set of a private plane, rent it for 50 bucks an hour, and uh, take pictures of yourself living the high life, but it's all a facade. It's literally a facade. On uh, Netflix, there's this great mini-series on the NASA Challenger explosion, which you know people of my generation will remember well. And you find out the seven astronauts who died were never told of the dangers of, of launching in cold temperatures, that the engineers of a company who made the parts, warned NASA not to launch, and information about the dangers of the launch were suppressed. In fact, the engineers were removed from the decision-making process in spite of their serious objections. The Challenger was launched. You know the rest. Millions witnessed the disastrous consequences of that. And in time, the world learned about NASA's deception and cover-up Lives were lost because the truth wasn't told. In intentional deception is now commonplace in almost every arena in which we move. We carefully tailor information, right? Politicians want the public to think certain things, and so they, they put a spin on the truth. Uh, executives and CEOs put a spin on the facts. We actually had a political spokesperson confronted with some, you know, damaging facts only to have them say they had alternative facts, alternative facts. You know, one phrase I'm really struggling with these days, and it's kind of a popular phrase. Well, that's my truth. And I, I think I understand the intent. You know, for instance, someone might say, well, even though what my dad did to me can't be proven in court, he has ruined my life and deserves to rot in jail. 
That's my truth. Okay, I get that. But the phrase also seems to be used as, well, alternative facts sometimes. It, it reminds me of this old Stephen Colbert clip that seems actually prophetic <laughs> for the times we find ourselves in now. And that brings us to tonight's word. Truthiness. <laughs> now, I'm sure some of the word police, the wordinistas over at Webster's, are going to say, hey, that's not a word. Well, anybody who knows me know that I'm no fan of dictionaries or reference books. They're elitist, constantly telling us what is or isn't true or what did or didn't happen. Who's Britannica to tell me the Panama Canal was finished in 1914? If I want to say it happened in 1941, that's my right. I don't trust books. They're all fact, no heart. Because that's where the truth comes from, ladies and gentlemen. The gut. Do you know you have more nerve endings in your stomach than in your head? Look it up. Now somebody's gonna say, I did look that up and it's wrong. Well, mister, that's because you looked it up in a book. Next time, try looking it up in your gut. I did. And my gut tells me that's how our nervous system works. Now, I know some of you may not trust your gut yet. The truthiness is anyone can read the news to you. I promise to feel the news at you. Not that long ago, the uh, Port Authority of New York ran this job ad for electricians uh, who had to have expertise at using Sontag connectors. They got 170 responses, even though, you guessed it, there's no such thing as a Sontag connector. It was an experiment to find out how many applicants falsified their resumes. Now, before you get too pious, take this little test. You're at the Home Depot uh, and you've got a dozen or so items in the checkout and the clerk at the register overlooks a $55 power saw. It's not lying if you don't say anything. Would you keep quiet about it? You know, Jesus cuts through all this stuff. He gets to the heart of the matter and it's like he knew the things that we were going to be facing in our culture. Six times, Jesus in this sermon says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Sometimes people think Jesus is reinterpreting the law. He's actually just giving the law its real interpretation. And what he's going to say here is, you've put a spin on the truth by saying if you do it outwardly, it's okay. But I want to tell you the core of the truth because it goes much deeper than outward performance. It goes to the very heart of your obedience. The super religious people who were listening to Jesus as he, as he gave this message had impeccably observed the third commandment and the ninth commandment, okay? The third commandment is, no, uh, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And the ninth is, you shall not bear false witness. But like the other commandments, the Pharisees ritualistically observed, they had devised a system of, here's that word again from last week, loopholes. So 
they wouldn't use the name Yahweh because that was a sacred name. Um, if they swore by Yahweh and they couldn't keep their oath, that would be bearing false witness and taking the name of the Lord in vain, a two for one shot. So they took Yahweh out of the equation. And, and you get an idea of some of the other things that they were swearing by as you read this text. It says, do not swear at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. They'd found a loophole. I'll make an oath, but I'll leave God's name out of it. But I'll swear on other things to show that I'm serious. And then it was like, you know, well, the circumstances have changed or, um, you know, this is a binding promise, but this one, not so much. Loopholes. So they would swear by their head, which was, a, which was a way of saying, well, as far as I know, or, you know, I hope I'll be able to keep that promise. The, the point Jesus is making is that your yes should be yes and your no, no, and an oath shouldn't be necessary, actually, in order to verify your truthfulness. Apparently, truth was as rare a commodity in the day of Jesus as it is today. Just don't use Yahweh in your promise. Swear by Jerusalem, and it becomes truthy-ish, a loophole. Well, then the Pharisees become known as people who swear on everything, about everything. I swear on the temple, my wife makes the best falafels. You know, it became a bit of a, a boy cries wolf scenario, sort of just white noise. People going, uh, is this the oath that they have to keep or the one that they can sneak out of? What did they swear on again? Jesus was tired of it. He, he got to the heart of this sinful duplicity. He said, it's ruining your integrity. Um, it's ruining your fellowship with God and man. Jesus cares about our words. You know, later on in Matthew 12, he'd say, I tell you, on the day of judgment, you will have to give an account for every careless word you utter. What would happen if we weighed our words as carefully as the Lord does? You know, we use words sometimes to manipulate, to massage, to create impressions that we know are not true. And Jesus calls us to practice simple honesty. Jesus gets past all the, all the sinful duplicity and cuts to the heart. And I just, I love the simplicity of it. Let your yes be yes and let your no be no. Just tell the truth. Say what you mean. Mean what you say. Uh, in the message, Eugene Peterson paraphrased this little section like this. Don't say anything you don't mean. This counsel is embedded deep in our traditions. You only make things worse when you lay down a smokescreen of pious talk saying, I'll pray for you and never doing it. Or saying, God be with you and not meaning it. You don't make your words true by embellishing them with religious lace. In making your speech sound more religious, it becomes less true. Just say yes and no. When you manipulate words to get your own way, you go wrong. 
how often do we say things like, I swear to you, this is true, or as God is my witness, or honest to God, or how about this one? I swear on my mother's grave. My mom was like, could you please stop doing that? I'm not dead yet. It's kind of like saying, you know, everything I said up to this point may have been a little exaggerated, but from here on in, this, this is the truth. Often, not always, but often those people who make a big production of swearing how true this is are often the least reliable, aren't they? Is that just me? It's kind of like, hmm, the lady doth protest too much. Jesus is calling us to develop a reputation so committed to integrity. You never have to preface anything with an oath or a statement that says, okay, this is really true. Because your lifestyle, your testimony is such that whatever you say is true. Wouldn't it be refreshing to live in a world like that? We recently had this membership class online. And one of the core values of our church that I went over, and it's probably not one you would think would crack the top 10, but it's authenticity, that we would be a real people, that we would be honest about our real problems and put our hope in a real God. You know, no perfect people allowed, no fakey fakeness allowed. And yet, in not too long from now, We'll be meeting in person again on Sunday morning in small groups, in women's events, all kinds of ways. And we'll have to guard against posturing. You know, the hours between 10 and 1130 on a Sunday morning is when a lot of fakey fakeness happens. Maybe more than any other time of the week. Many are going to walk through our doors all, you know, clean shaven, nice new haircut and looking great but their lives are falling apart. And when our brothers and sisters ask, how are you doing? We answer, what? Fine, you're not fine. You know you're not fine. Well, what do, you, what do you want me to do? Tell them I'm terrible? How about, you know, it's been a tough week. Things could be better. And hopefully the person asking you will have the good sense to say, um, will you let me, Talk to you more about that after the service. I really want to hear about your week and, and maybe bear that burden a little bit with you. Simple honesty, whether you're taking an oath in court or, or talking on the telephone, your yes should be yes, your no should be no. In other words, you actually shouldn't have to take an oath to tell the truth. If the court <laughs> says you need to put your hand on a Bible and take an oath, you know, you do it. Uh, for the sake of perjury, because that's not even what the scripture is really about. What it's saying is your truth should always be truth. Whatever you say, whenever you say it at the office, at home, in church, in the car, at school, in every situation, be honest. Be as honest as if you were on the witness stand. Now, remember, the truth is double-edged. There's the yes and there's the no. I'm more of a a yes man. At my former Alliance district, they used to say they want to have a yes face. You know, some people have a a yes face, 
a, a predisposition to want to say yes to your request, to look for ways to make your idea work. Um, like, don't you like to say yes? But how many of you are not real fond of no? Life says no to you a lot, doesn't it? So it's great when we can say yes as often as we can within the revealed will of God, but there are some times to say no. You know, there's a, there's a seeker-sensitive model of church, a certain church growth model that says, don't preach about sin because that turns people off. Well, you know what? Um, sin turns God off too. And that's the reason why God put in his book some no's. A preacher who only tells you yes is not honest because he's not dealing with the totality of the Word of God. The Word of God tells it like it is, the good, the bad, the ugly. And if we're going to represent God as his people, we need to be that kind of a spokesman. Um, there are times for the sake of, of wise and healthy relational boundaries, you have to say no. Times for the sake of the health of the corporate church, we have to say no to the individual. That's, that's part of being a truth teller. In fact, um, two particular environments or relationships come to mind where we need to be vigilant in telling the truth. Uh, first of all, if there's any one place where truth ought to prevail, it's the church. But it doesn't always, and it hasn't always. Um, these are American stats, and perhaps uh, more so an American issue. But we're so deeply influenced by our American brothers and sisters. Do you know that two-thirds of white evangelicals believe Joe Biden is not the legitimate president? That's a widely debunked conspiracy theory. A quarter of evangelicals subscribe to the theories of QAnon. Theories which have been debunked, proven false. You know, the, the January 6th Capitol siege was filled with Christian iconography and signage. We as Christians are increasingly getting a reputation as people associated with lies and conspiracies when we are supposed to be known as a people of truth. You know, does the left lie and tell conspiracy theories? You bet they do. But I'm talking to Christians today who seem to have associated themselves with an untruthful tribe, perhaps because it presents a narrative that they like better than reality. It fits their worldview, whether it's even true or not. So it ends up damaging our credibility in a culture that was already inclined to dismiss the gospel. There's other situations too, like the one I, I railed on about a couple weeks ago where a prominent Christian apologist, leader, author, speaker, celebrity is outed for years of just disgusting sexual exploitation. And what adds such insult to injury is a so-called Christian board, Christian ministry, Christian accountability structure that goes to some lengths to obfuscate, to protect the brand, right? To at very least not try to get to the bottom of credible claims 
because of NDAs, non-disclosure agreements, uh, uh, through bogus internal investigations that were kind of just for show. This was a guy briefly ordained through our denomination, the Alliance. It just, it makes me sad and angry and the ripple effect tarnishes us all. And it really illustrates how theology won't save you, that knowing isn't necessarily growing, that the Sermon on the Mount is so much more than doctrine. It is a way to live. Let your yes be yes. Be known as trustworthy people of truth. In fact, let's just get real practical right now. For the prophets out there, you got to be real careful saying, God told me. Be real careful. Just be careful not to drag God's name into something you're not 100% sure of. I'd be more apt to say something like, I have a word for you that I feel led to tell you. Will you think about it and see if it resonates with you? I'd be real careful not to bring God in and claim he's on your side in whatever particular issue. I'd be real careful not to use phrases like, I'll pray for you flippantly. Uh, Like if you say that, mean what you say. Don't let it become a Christian cliche with no meaning. When you misuse God's name, it says Satan gets in. And I, I don't know precisely what this means, but I take it seriously. I know Satan is a liar. In fact, he's the father of lies. And so don't take that closing verse lightly. So the church needs to really live this out. And secondly, we really need to live this in our marriages. You may remember that this passage comes immediately following Jesus talking about marriage and divorce, which had immediately followed his topic of lust and adultery. Kind of hard not to think there's a bit of a progression here. Um, The marriage relationship is perhaps the most important place for honesty to prevail. Walter Wangren said, there is no greater laboratory for learning how to communicate with care than in the marriage relationship. Now watch this. In a marriage relationship, what is the goal? Intimacy. Not just in the physical realm, as important as that is, but everyone who's been married even for a short time knows that the physical intimacy is dependent on the deep relational intimacy. And what destroys relational intimacy is a lack of honesty between two people. Hiding, posturing, not bringing who you really are to the table. It's actually kind of analogous to your relationship with God. And if you're thinking this morning, Pastor, I can't be who I really am because who I am is not that pretty. And I can't show that to others. And I can't show it to God. The only way I'm accepted is to present this false version of me. I want you to know something. There is nothing you can't be honest about with God. Look, he knows it all anyways, but he wants you to be honest with yourself and just watch how you will be accepted and loved and forgiven. I can't promise 
that will happen with your spouse. I can't. I do know that playing a role in front of your spouse is going to be an intimacy killer anyways. I'm going to even make a gender generalization here based on a bit of my anecdotal experience. This is hard for us men, true candor, especially about our fears and our weaknesses. But guys, one thing you can do today to make your marriage more like what God intended it to be is to cultivate honesty between you and your wife. Believe me, I am preaching mostly to Jonathan this morning. The act of marriage itself is built on a promise. It's a promise lived out for a lifetime. It's not about a legal contract. This isn't about a marriage license even. It's certainly not about um, prenups, the ultimate loophole. This is about every fiber of your being, every, every ounce of your character, um, every bit of your determination and resolve saying yes to that relationship. Yes, until the day I die. Honesty in, in our churches, honesty in our marriages. And that honesty needs to start in our own hearts. We aren't born honest, you know. Only those who have forgotten what it was like to raise little kids would dispute me on this point. Did you color on my tub? No! Who did? You keep coloring. I can't believe it's you. You color it on the tub. No! Did you color your sister? Tell me the truth. Wesleyan? You're telling me you haven't ate any candy today? Mm-mm. I haven't. You can have one more time to tell me the truth. Really, I haven't. Then what is all over your face? Oh. Honesty is learned. It's a learned response and it needs to be a discipline. When we come to Jesus um, and receive him as, as our savior, he comes to live in our heart. And, and what does the Bible say about him? He is the way, he is the truth and the life. When you get Jesus, you get the truth. But it still isn't easy. Even after Christ comes to live within your heart, if you don't live under the power of the Holy Spirit, you might have all the same propensities to shade and bend and fudge the truth. We all know we do it. But we need to catch ourselves doing it. And we need to have people who will hold us accountable so that we develop this greater core of, of integrity as we deal with each other and as we relate to the Lord. Be honest with God in prayer. You know, when you're having a lousy day and when you don't even have an ounce of spiritual motivation in your body, you know, it's all right to say, God, this is how I, I feel and this is why I feel. And I, I don't even really want to pray right now, but I want you to know where I am. He already knows that, by the way, but it's so good for you to say it, to develop honesty with God in your own life. Honesty is built one truth upon another. Dishonesty is built one fib upon another. And every fib gets a little bit easier, doesn't it? It's been said, um, it's 
easy to tell a lie, but it's hard to tell only one. Kind of like Lay's potato chips, but you can't eat just one. <laughs> when you catch yourself shading the truth, when you catch yourself not being totally honest, stop and think, that probably isn't going to hurt anybody, and it may not hurt me now, but it will probably hurt me later. Maybe even in imperceptible ways. If you teach yourself to traffic in untruths, it's not long before the deception is beyond your control. I bet you know some folks who live like this so much they don't even know what the truth is themselves. Um, they've taught themselves to live in such a deceptive way that truth no longer registers in their heart. Folks, this has been a strong, convicting word to my own heart. I hope it, it's been to yours. Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Lord, I, I know you actually want the best for us. The reason you preached this message is to tell us how to really live, to tell us about the good life. May we wake up every morning and have peace and joy in our hearts because we live with such authenticity, such integrity, such honesty that our yeses are yeses and our noes are noes. The kind of life where we are, are never looking over our shoulder to make sure, you know, nobody caught up with the, the last little fib we said. To live that constant peace of knowing there's nothing about me that's not already out there. I am who I am and what I say is the truth. God, help us to be open and transparent and honest about our fears and our joys and the deepest parts of our life. Amen. Amen.